Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome. This is the Investor Coaching Show. And I am Paul Winkler. And we talk about that money thing here with Mr. Ira Work. Markets are fundamentally broken, Ira. This is a, so a JR sent this off our direction. And you know, when you have questions, you can send this stuff if you feel like it. Or you can go to paulwinkler.com forward slash question, or you go to the website and you look at the little area under the radio show and you'll find you can set questions. By all means do it. We love getting this kind of stuff. Uh, but mon- the markets are fundamentally broken is what he sends to me due to passive investing, David Einhorn says. So uh, the idea, you know, when we look at, at investing, we can either actively stock pick, try to figure out which companies are going to do better than others, uh, which areas of the market are going to do better. Hey, let's go buy Bitcoin today. Uh, let's go. Now, that wouldn't be typically a an active stock. It's not a stock, but, you know, it might be something that I do and I change my investment strategy based on what I think is going to happen in the future. Anything where you're changing your portfolio based on a prediction or forecast about the future is, by definition, market timing. So you might be doing that. Or you could passively invest. Now, There are different ways to passively invest, and I don't think people necessarily understand this. They're used to hearing about stock picking and market timing, not a good idea. Uh, It's uh, mutual funds. You'll typically, I I was uh, meeting with somebody this week. Um, Well, you know, know, it was, uh, I don't have permission to say names at the station, but I will just go and just say that there was an incredible amount, like 90, 100% turnover in one of the funds that they owned. You know, so it was a lot of turnover, a lot of trading, and they were like going, oh my goodness, I had no idea that was happening. And my point was, yeah, most people don't have any idea that's happening. You know, because the investment manager, they hand it over and say, hey, I, you know, just handle this, you know, take care of it. I don't want to know what's going on. You know, so that would be a type of active management. Then you have indexing. Then you go and you say, hey, let's take the index that's investing in large companies, small companies, value companies, small value, large value, international. And let's just remove like bankrupt companies, real estate investment trusts, real estate investment trust IPOs, remove things that don't belong in the index. And by the way, let's not capitalization weight it so that most of the money is in the very, very biggest of companies. Because that doesn't work really well, typically. (laughs) It works really against you most of the time. And sometimes it does work. You know, you've had, you know, a little bit of a run with really, really big companies and it might work okay in the short run. But, you know, the reality of it is the research is pretty clear that it doesn't work that well. So you can have passive where you make sure that you capture the asset category more fundamentally accurately by using an engineering approach is what you would call that, more of a scientific approach. Uh, And there are funds that do that. But anyway, this guy is railing in this article about just indexing. And that is what most people do in their 401k plans. Now he's railing against it, not for the reasons that I go, not a big fan of it, only in large US stocks and large international. He's railing against it for a whole different reason, which is pretty funny. So he says, I view the markets as fundamentally broken. Passive investors have no opinion about value. 
they're just going to assume every else, everybody else has done the work. In other words, when I go in and pick a stock, what am I going to do, Ira? You're going to study the stock. What am I going to study? Everything everybody else knows about it. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you're, you're a little ahead of where I wanted to go with that, but okay, yes, you're right. <laughs> I'm going to study the cash flow. I'm going to study the business design. I'm going to study, you know, who's running the company, what their philosophy is. I'm going to study, you know, I'm going to study the, the sales projections. But you're right. Yeah, technically, you're going to study what everybody else already knows. Uh, or somebody knows. It's knowable information. Right. And you're hoping that everybody, the general consensus of all informed investors is just wrong. So in essence, he's saying that people buying an index are just buying a bunch of stocks and they have no opinion whatsoever. Well, there's something wrong with that belief system. And that is the, 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 the idea is that all you have to do is have one trade take place of a stock in an, inside the index, whether it be Amazon or whether it be Apple, whether it be Microsoft, whether it be whoever, all you have to do is have one trade takes place where somebody that owns the stock individually either buys it or sells it and value be, will be reestablished. Why? Because the buyer of it does not want to pay more than they have to pay for it. The seller does not want to take less than they have to take for it. So they will establish value. Well, that's why Gene Fonda, you know, winning the Nobel Prize in 2013 on the efficient market hypothesis, basically said the price is right at any given point in time because the market at large has agreed this is the price. Exactly. If the price gets too low, then the companies, let's forget about the individual investors out there, the companies themselves will buy back shares. Right. And if the companies are saying, hey, let's buy back shares, you're one of those dudes that owns the shares. <laughs> you're going to sit there and go, wait, 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 wait. The companies want to buy the shares from me. I better do the research and make sure I'm not selling this for too little. You don't think about that. But that's, that's something else that Fama said. That's not the way he said it. But he said it in, in part that once a trade takes place, then the established value is reestablished at whatever it's worth at that point in time. If the price goes too low, company's gonna buy back the shares. But if the price gets too high, insiders might sell and capitalize on their ESOP, their employee stock ownership program. So they're going to not, because they're gonna go, oh, we know a lot about what's going on. We're gonna, we need to sell. I'm, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna exercise my options right now. And then what happened? So he's basically saying the passive investors make it so nobody does any work anymore. And that's just, I, I disagree with that. Uh, he, now, who is it that's saying this? Hedge fund titan, David Einhorn, arguing, and he's arguing that it's tough out there for active money managers, thanks to the seemingly inexorable rise of passive investing. And I would argue, maybe there's an ax to grind here. What do you think, Ira? I believe there is an ax because he's probably seeing money flowing out of his funds, and we're seeing money flowing out of um, traditional mutual funds towards ETFs. Of his hedge fund in this particular case, uh -huh. yeah. And he's trying to figure out or at least give his uh, investors an explanation that may or may not be real. Now, you know me, I like to do a little research. 
And so I did a little research on this for the fun of it. And uh, the real issue to me is there might be less demand for somebody like, and that's what Ira is saying. If the, if the market's trouncing you and they're getting a higher, the market's having higher returns than your hedge fund is. But I was just wondering, is that the case? So I went and did some research. The Greenlight Capital Fund, which is what he manages, was down 20% for 2015. Down 20%. In February of 2015, Greenlight Capital was ranked 53rd out of 58 hedge funds. <laughs> yeah, wow. I'm reading Ira's lips. Wow. I, with a D grade in the Institutional Investors Alpha Hedge Fund, a report card. This was the second year in a row the Greenlight Capital received a D rating. Didn't just do it once, did it twice. Greenlight Capital is a hedge fund founded in 1996 by David Einhorn. This is from Wikipedia, by the way. Uh, so Greenlight invests primarily in publicly traded North American corporate debt offers, offerings and equities. Greenlight is most notable for its short selling of Lehman stock prior to Lehman Brothers collapse in 2008. This is how a lot of times investment managers gain their for fame and fortune, right, Ira? Uh -huh. It's what they're shooting for. People ask all the time, why do they do this? Why do they engage in this, Paul? Why do they do this active stock picking? It's because if they can get lucky, then all of a sudden magazines come and talk to them and say, hey, what do you think the market's going to do next? You were the one that shorted Lehman at the right time, which means you're selling the stock, hoping that it goes down to rebuy it and make money by a stock going down. And in essence, what he's saying right here, what they're saying in Wikipedia is that that was his notable point in town, in time. That was his notable point in history. That was his claim to fame. And what happened is it was found in 1996 and he borrowed $900,000 from his parents. Can we borrow $900,000 from your parents to start an investment fund? I wish I could <laughs> borrow $900,000 from my parents. That's, this is just, this I just is, wish my parents were in a position to lend me $900,000. <laughs> What if you couldn't repay it? Uh, Greenlight had generally talking about having your parents actually believe in you. Here, Sonny, here's a million dollars to go and see if your investing philosophy works. Uh, it says Greenlight Capital greatly underperformed. Uh, so they generated greater than the 25% annualized return in the beginning, but recent lackluster results have brought this down to 15%. Uh, Greenlight Capital greatly underperformed the bull market in 2017. Uh, for January 2018, Greenlight's funds were down 6% for the month, where the S&P 500 was up 5.6, and hence you have the X. <laughs> you know, the, just the, the market's going up and he's he's losing, and you can imagine you get a little bit, you know, whatever. And blame it on somebody else. You know, if you got something out of a problem, best thing to do is if you're ever like really in trouble and you really messed up, blame somebody else. <laughs> like politics. <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> Amid what's left of active management, the value industry has gotten completely annihilated, he said. So, you know, he gets into talking about all different types of things, you know, value, people. And here's the problem, seriously. And he's talking about, you know, some areas of the market have not done as well as growth stocks have lately. And, you know, we cross, you know, talk about growth. We have the Magnificent Seven and all of this stuff. And, you know, typically value 
96% of 20-year periods valued as better than growth and blah, 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 and all of this stuff. And the, the problem is that's fine if you're a buy and hang on to stuff and, and you have a really diversified portfolio. If there's a period in time when growth's doing better than value, bravo, because I happen to own growth. I'm cool with that. Right. And if I'm in retirement, I'm taking an income from the growth side. I'm not lamenting the, the fact that growth is outperforming value. If it couldn't do that, I would never own growth, right? Well, I look at it also from the perspective that if I own all the different asset categories, mm -hmm. growth, value, large, small, U.S. international emerging markets, mm -hmm. um, when one is doing better than another, you know, based upon building a portfolio to my level of risk that I'm willing to take, mm -hmm. when a particular area goes up, Mm -hmm. then the risk the risk profile of that portfolio now changes. Right. So now I could follow the rules of investing. I could sell part of that area that went up, That's move it into the areas that either went down or didn't go up as much, rebalance it back to the proper risk profile that I wanted to establish. And That's I amazing. and mm -hmm. you know, it's it's the same buy and hold, but it's not true buy and hold, it's buy holder and balance. Right. And that is where I see the problem with a hedge fund is they're focused on one particular thing. Um, ignoring risk and just you know seeing if they can shoot the lights out return wise. Correct. Yeah. And unfortunately, most individual investors that can't even invest in hedge funds, most individual investors don't even Thankfully. consider they're not ignoring <laughs> Thankfully, they can invest in hedge funds. Yeah. yeah. But they're not ignoring risk. Themselves. Yeah. They're not thinking about risk. Right until the portfolio drops in value. And not only that, Ira, you know, if you look at this in the hedge funds, you know, the thing is, is that my point is, I don't care if growth outperforms value for a little no. while, but you would care a great deal about it if you were an investor that was wanting to see an asset category come back really fast because your investment strategy requires that something happen very fast or you totally lose out. Like for example, shorting. If you short a stock, and you short an area of the market and it doesn't go down in time, you have to buy back that stock and cover it and cover your shorts as we call it. And you are in a world of hurting because the recovery didn't happen fast enough for you. Well, that's the point I'm making there. Well, I think I told you last weekend, I, I suggested you watch the movie, Dumb Money. And yeah, the, getting me to watch a movie. I need well, to do it. The yeah. hardest thing about watching that movie was the language because there's a lot of young college kids in this whole thing. Okay. But the movie was really about what happened with GameStop. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was the whole story behind mm -hmm. it and the players in it and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And these young kids that just started buying it, a lot of them actually made money. The guy who was the initiator of the whole oh, thing. Of course. He, yeah, it's like it's. it's like, know, he he actually. It's like a pyramid. You know, they, you, you want to start it. You want to be the one that starts it. Well, it's really a little bit more interesting than that. But I know that he actually disappeared from the world, like nobody has seen him or anything else, with thirty-four million dollars. But in the interim, what? Yeah, he put a hedge fund out of business. Uh huh. The hedge fund. Right. He had the, the guy who owned that yeah. particular hedge fund had to work with two hedge funds who basically came in and took him over. And it said at the end of the movie, you know how they have like little blurbs about different people. Oh, you're going to so ruin forth. the end of the movie, aren't you? Um, <laughs> well, no, I'm going to ruin for hedge funds. Okay, all right, okay, go ahead. Which I don't think you care about. No, you're so, right. So, <laughs> but what it said was the hedge funds now have a harder time 
because they actually have to look at what is going on in social media and are the companies oh, yeah. they're looking for being talked about. Talked about, yeah. Are they a target for their strategy? To, and that's that's that ties in exactly with what I'm saying, is whatever your strategy is, it has to happen in a certain period of time okay. for it to work, which makes it doubly hard. And, and you know, that's, that's the other problem with it. So I think, there you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what most people don't know is hedge funds, you know, they actually get a, a percentage of the, their growth over the initial investment. Yeah, two, they get 20 two, two and 20, yeah. And they're saying is when the fund is underperforming, mm -hmm. well, if you love me at two and 20%, you got to love me at just 2%. <laughs> That's right. We're not taking 20% of your gains, okay. is what they're saying right there, because you're not getting any gains. All right. I don't know. That's, that's kind of, I don't know. Uh, speaking of gains, the real estate industry has uh, just a little bit of an issue for some people that own rental real estate. We'll get into that in just a second. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15 minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. All right, back here on the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler along with Ira Work. Okay, so uh, you know sometimes what people do for preparing for retirement is we talk about real estate investment trust problems that we've had with them. Uh, sometimes talk a little bit about real estate. I'm not against it. I mean, it's it's a business. A lot of people buy real estate. They're not necessarily well suited for owning real estate because they're just too nice, like me. <laughs> like, going, oh, you you you're you're having a hard time at your job this month. Uh, okay, well, you can no, I, I'm not that bad, but. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, you know, my empathy, you know, is a little bit too strong for being a real estate kind of guy. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I don't own real estate because I don't know if I would be able to kick him out or not. I kick out, you know, the pregnant, you know, somebody, you know, you know they who can't. Yeah, I, it's same. It, it, likewise, it, it is. It's tough. And then, then the other thing is just the the dealing with the issues of things breaking, people not taking care of. You know, you have the weather gets really cold and they don't run the. The water in there they don't drip it and then the pipes freeze we had that happen because we do own a couple pieces of property that are hooked to our residence where where we live there's a property and uh i'm like oh what on earth is water running there's water run and then there's like this basement there's flooded i'm like going and i open up a door i'm like, shh it had been running for a week the water had been running in that area for a week mm -hmm. and you know the didn't know the renter didn't know about it couldn't hear it, didn't see it, 
Yeah, you can have stuff like that. You know, windows, uh, you know, just being, you know, problems with the windows, problems with the leaking, you know, this and that and the other thing, the air conditioner going out. Uh, oh, the air conditioner actually, oh, yeah, this is a good one. This is a real one. During the freezing, freezing temperatures, you ready for this one? I got pictures of this. Call up the, the, the person that does the air conditioning to come over. This thing is only getting to 50 degrees in here. There's a problem down in the main main area of this floor. There's it's only getting to 50 degrees. What on earth is going on? They look at it, it's not, can't find anything. Looks like it's working fine. Goes back and leaves and comes back again. No, it's fine. Checks it out a second time, and I don't know who it was, but wandered into the attic of the house, and the ductwork had basically detached from the heating unit. Oh wow! The attic was really really warm, but. <laughs> But anyway, I'm just, you know, I'm just, that's my own personal garbage. So you're well, telling me don't too. own real estate. Uh, but it's that's just one me. thing after another. I mean, good <laughs> grief. You know, fences outside, you know, yeah. uh, you get to get, get the lawn mowed and all of that good stuff. I, I have enough with my own house. So when we were in Florida to celebrate my niece's wedding. Right. And we came home uh -huh. the night that the storm happened. Yeah. And we came in a day early because, you know, Elaine woke me up and said, yeah. I think we should leave today. This okay. was Sunday morning. Okay. My wife says, the snow's supposed to start at 5.30 and our flight was supposed, to, well, the flight we ended up taking was supposed to land at 7.30. And I said, uh -huh. all right, we'll have enough time to get home. Uh -huh. Well, we had almost a one and a half to two hour delay. Mm -hmm. And then we sat on the tarmac when we landed in Nashville for another hour and a half. Oh, my goodness. Got into our car and was driving on 40 at 35 miles an hour. Yeah. People flying by me. Couldn't get my car up the hill, thankfully. Yeah, because you got a, a hill. Good, yeah, a good Samaritan helped us get up to my house. I probably oh would have died climbing oh up the hill. Yeah. Or I would have left my suitcase behind. Oh, my but, goodness. And then Tuesday, mm -hmm. the gas valve on my heating unit went out. Uh-huh. So, thankfully, we have split units. So, the bedrooms were warm. Mm. We would have to put on a coat to go to the kitchen. And it took a week before the park came in. I don't want to have to deal with that with other people who rent my properties. There you go. Now, right. you don't want to deal with this either. You ready? It's crazy. Squatters cost a homeowner $15,000. The rent is too blank high. <laughs> <laughs> when one of your rentals was... So, so basically what it is, this is when one of your rentals was broken into and taken over by squatters, Atlanta-based real estate investor... Chris Griffith, Griffith uh, spent nearly six months and $15,000 getting rid of them. This guy's a consultant that owns five properties in Atlanta. Consultant, so it, he knows what he's doing. As well as a short-term rental, and he exchanged a flurry of emails with his property management firm. So he has a property management firm. So it's not like he's having to do all of this garbage himself, but it's still costing him and, and causing him problems. So when you have property management firm, of course, they're going to be taking some of it. But anyway, so he tried to understand how to break in, the break-in happened. Squatters were eventually evicted and the sheriff's department, oversaw the process, had to repaint, repair the home, and get it ready for his next legal tenant. I mean, it's just like one thing. But, you know, you see that in different parts of the country, but it, it's... Um, this guy is, is flabbergasted, he says. How do you not know you have a squatter? Well, yeah, yeah, you may, you may actually have a situation and I've seen that where people own properties out of state mm -hmm. and then they go and they, I had one, one client told me one time, so we had a property down in, um, oh man, I can't remember the panhandle or something like that and went down and says, well, you know, it's not rented, it's not rented, it's not rented, it's not rented. And then he goes, he calls the, the real estate, the management company 
and says, it's not rented. Okay. So he doesn't tell them. And he decides, well, I'm just going to go. Let's just, honey, let's go down and take a vacation. You know, our property's not rented. <laughs> Turned out the property was rented. They just weren't passing on the rental to the owner. I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. Squatting situation in Atlanta underscores a dire need for affordable housing in many U.S. cities. A sharp rise in rents over the past few years has left millions of tenants spending too much of their incomes on housing costs, pushing the share of so-called rent-burdened households to an all-time high, according to a recent report from Harvard University's Joint Center of Housing Studies. The rent is too blank high. Blah, blah, blah. Tenants are forced to make impossible choices in a market. I love this line. Check this out, Ira. Ready? Leviticus. Uh, Tenants are forced to make impossible choices in a market that treats their lives like investments. It is an investment. (laughs) It's my rental property. (laughs) You paying the rent is my investment income. (laughs) And when you're dealing with that mentality. I'm very careful what I rent. That's tough, man. I even swiffer the walls. <laughs> but that's keep... your, you're being the renter. I mean, you're being a a reasonable because it's not my place. Renter. Right. When you think about it, but it's we're not talking your place. about you know the person that is owning the property, dealing with people that don't necessarily tend to be that responsible. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then they got you know large corporate investors buying up a lot of these big chunks of real estate and driving up rents, and it's it's making a problem. You know. So anyway, um, yeah, it's just. Uh, you know, people ask me all the time about this, so I just thought I'd share a little anecdote regarding rental property and some of the more exciting things that you might have to look forward to if you are one. And I just I love owning companies, and and I you know in a typical investment portfolio you might have thirty thousand, forty thousand companies, and I got lots of people running the company trying to make it as profitable as they possibly can, and it's a lot more diversified. You know, and that's why that I tend to prefer that. That's where I stand. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.